you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lulovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Jo. And I'm Lucy. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. This Sunday coming up is Father's Day in Australia. So in celebration of dads, we have invited a dad, Tim Hammond, who is a former federal Labor minister who resigned earlier this year to be more present with his family to come and join us on the show to talk about his career and family juggle. But before we get into that, Joe, what are your plans for Father's Day this year? Well, I'm hoping that my kids who are old enough to plan their own Father's Day, I hope, will have got it all together because I haven't planned anything because, of course, my big birthday is just a few days after Father's Day. Far more important than Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) I've kind of not really had any time to think about what Evan might like on Father's Day. It'll be more like I hope the kids have brought some homemade things home from school. Perfect. What, more what about you? <laughs> well, Jack is away this year for oh. Father's Day. He's in South Africa doing an Ironman triathlon. So he won't be here. So what we've done, which I actually did this morning on the train on the way in, I asked in our Facebook group what I could send him to South Africa for him to open on Father's Day because the actual race is on Father's Day. And Sonia recommended, we, I had lots of suggestions. I'm going to make him up a little care package, but one of the things Sonia recommended was to print off lots of photos of Lily with his triathlon stuff, like with his I bike. I love that over. idea. So I tried this. She has this little shirt that says, Daddy is my superhero. I even ironed it. I got out the iron. <laughs> I ironed a two-year-old's top and I put it on her and she flat out refused to, to go anywhere near any of his things. She didn't want the camera. She was pushing the camera away. So I was like, okay, well, that, that failed. So instead, I went back through all our photos for the last two years and any picture of me and Lily watching a race or Jack and Lily at the finish line or they've got pictures cleaning their bikes together and things, stuck them all in a photo album. Lily painted a picture at school. That can go in his suitcase. Ah, oh, and you did all that on the train this morning. Oh, no, well, I didn't print them. I just put them in the photo album this morning. That's awesome. What a great <laughs> use of your um your commuting time. I had to do it when Jack wasn't around and he leaves on the weekend. So I had to get on with it. So there you go. That's what we're up to. <laughs> oh, so let's tell everyone a little bit about Tim before yes. we get into the interview. And I will just make a comment here that the day that we've recorded this episode is the day that once again, Australia is going through a bit of a, what do you call it? Leadership spill. We have a name now. Yes, yes awesome. that's true. I was trying to come up with a more slang term for yes. it. <laughs> to adequately describe how all Australians are feeling about the number of prime ministers we've had in recent years. But anyway, so there's a a brief mention of that and that's why I just wanted to mention it now. So to tell you about Tim, after several years working as a lawyer and then a barrister, Tim Hammond at just 41 ran for and was elected as the member of Perth for the Labor Party in the 2016 federal election. He was initially awarded assistant minister portfolios But very quickly, the Labor Party spotted his talent and within two months, he was promoted to full ministry as the Shadow Minister for Consumer Affairs and Shadow Minister Assisting for Resources. Tim is also married with three um, children, two daughters and a son, and it was for family reasons that Tim chose to resign from Parliament in May 2018, just a few months ago. It's not often that we hear about men making a decision to make a huge change to their career and step away from a career to be more committed and more involved with their family. 
So we get to talk to Tim a lot about this. And I think Lucy and I both really got a lot out of it. The key thing for me, and this came through quite a few times in the interview, is this idea that Tim has of working backwards to design your life. So he says you should start by thinking when you're 75, looking back on your life, how would you have wanted it to look? And is what you're doing now going to get you there. And I really like that. And it also works in another way, which is that you need to start with what your values are and then design your life around those things instead of perhaps just living in a certain way because it might be expected of you or it's just how you've ended up. Yeah, exactly. Which links into what I really took away, which was the fact that he talked about how we're all different. And as my mother-in-law likes to say all the time, we're all different and you just have to accept that and acknowledge that. And what is right for one is not going to be right for another. And sometimes that does come down to those values or the way that you are you've been brought up or the way that you're choosing to have a career, whatever it is, you know, and as Tim said, it was difficult for him and his family doing the juggle with politics and family, but there are plenty of other politicians from WA who make it work. Yeah, absolutely. So the the decision that he makes is the one that's right for him and so others might be different. Yeah. So that is why we need to keep hearing all people's ways of doing things, you know, rather than people keeping their stories to themselves, it's really important to share so that other people know that there's lots of different options out there. All right, over to the interview. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Tim. Thank you so much for giving us your time. No worries. How are you, Joe? Good to see you. Good to see you, Lucy. Likewise. Thank you so much. Tim, the question that we like to ask all of our guests, especially guests who are working professionals, is what time did you start your day? Oh, very uh, sedate and civilised today. So we have this rule in our house mainly to preserve our own sanity, that children are not really allowed out of bed before 7 o'clock. <laughs> 7 so, o'clock? I thought yeah. I was doing well with 6 o'clock. There you go. There you go. Well, look, look, it's a rule that it's honoured more in the breach, I've got to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But it allows, it's our self-imposed curfew time, as I said, to maintain the sanity in the house. So it's, but probably at the risk of jumping right in and oversharing already, I wanted to get up earlier so I could actually have the first shower peace and quiet before the whole thing kind of just took off on the right of the Valkyries that it always does in the morning. So only about half past six, 6.45 this morning. I laughed when you said that about your kids aren't allowed out of bed before seven because I know the ages of your children and how on earth do you control that? My daughter is too and if she wants to be up, she is going to be up. Yeah, yeah. Look, it does require some very selective hearing. (laughs) hearing. So, I mean, you know your own kids, right? They're all completely different in their personality. So we've got a six-year-old and she's terrific, a delicate sort of sensitive soul by her own admission probably, but also remarkably compliant at the moment. So she's pretty good to sit in bed and read a book until seven. I still can't work out how we managed to land that anyway. Our two-and-a-half-year-old, almost three, is just like this little ball of resilient fire. And uh, luckily, though, she's still in a cot with... She's trapped. Exactly. So she's sort of... (laughs) If the department department gets hold of this, it's all... Yeah, so she's in the cot, so she can make a bit of noise, but fundamentally, she's okay. And the nine-month-old, he does arc up a bit, and so we're trying to sort of impose a bit of routine on him which is more (laughs) wanted in the breach than it is in the actual um landing speaking of a mum who's also got two daughters and a son as the baby 
I think you're doing really well. And it sounds remarkably similar in terms of the compliance, the ball of energy and the, um, and the kid who just wants to arc up at the end. I, I don't know what's going on there. This selective hearing that you mentioned, I wonder if that was a big help for you back in politic land. Uh. <laughs> I just wanted to um, put it right out there that back in May this year, you made that big decision to step out of your career in federal politics for personal reasons. And you stated in the media interviews that you did at the time that the decision was made to be more available and involved in your family life. Can you share a little bit more about your reasons? Yeah, sure. No worries. I sort of had a, a genesis a long way back before I'm, I made the decision in May, and it's a slightly long narrative, so feel free to kind of either wind me up or, or shut me up whenever you feel... Uh, no, we want all the details. All okay, the details. no worries. Excellent, <laughs> got it in one. Um, so, look, a tilt at federal politics was something that I was very keen on for a long time. Um, I first had a go in 2010 with the federal Senate in Swan, that was a election marked by a couple of little things like a leadership spill and a mining tax. Don't know if you remember them, but it didn't <laughs> oh, mean, yes. meant that the Labor Party wasn't the most popular mob in town in WA. So understandably, I came second in relation to that campaign, but still really enjoyed it. And sort of having a legal background, which has a lot to do with social justice, representing victims of asbestos disease, dying of mesothelioma and lung cancer, this notion of pulling levers at a governmental level as opposed to a case-by-case level was something that I found very attractive and keen to be a part of. So I stayed involved in the party, fell in love with Lindsay, we got married, uh, had a little bub in 2012, that was Sid, Sydney, or Sid the Kid, as she's commonly known. I love the names of your kids, they're so unusual. Mainly Lindsay's, she's much more creative than me, uh, her input. But um, And so then what happened is Alana McTiernan retired a bit earlier than we thought in 2016, and federal seats don't come around every so often and so it was a timing and opportunity moment where the bus pulled up and we had to make a decision as a family about whether I'd jump on it not knowing when the next one would come along yeah so we decided as a family to do that and I was elected as the federal member for Perth in 2016 what happened then really was at that stage we just had Sid and O'Hara or Harry who was very little Um, and then we had the delightful but unexpected surprise of Tully number three who Mm -hmm. came along in October last year And I guess it was one of those things where we always knew that this was going to be tricky and we try to put into place strategies to manage the absence, really. You know, for instance, on Sundays, instead of flying direct from Perth to Canberra, which leaves at sort of three o'clock in the afternoon and sort of decimates your day, I never took that flight. I always did the overnight flights from Perth to Sydney, then the first flight from Sydney to Canberra, because that way you've just got one extra night at home, having dinner with your kids, putting them to bed, and it's a bit more of a natural end to the weekend for them. We did a lot of this sort of stuff, a lot of Skyping, and really trying to do as much as we can to make sure that that sort of connectivity between me and the kids was still there. But, look, the reality was we tried everything under the sun. It just wasn't working. Yeah. And uh, it was really, as I was sort of saying before, you know, you know your kids and they're all a bit different. But to be frank, it was sort of our eldest in particular who just didn't really manage that transition of my absence from being sort of home so much, not in a way that was diagnosable or anything, you know, that was sort of fall off the cliff category, but just perennially sad and upset because Dad was just never around. And so I think with a few sort of things, that became, it was becoming very clear internally uh, as a family unit that this was just not going to be sustainable in terms of what we wanted our family to look like. Yeah. So then what sort of was required was just a decision, you know, that I put into a category of decisions 
in life that some things aren't complicated, you know, they're just a bit hard, you know. And so this was one of those ones where I thought, well, look, this just isn't working. Mm. Everyone's unhappy. Everyone's exhausted. You know, we're either going, and now we know it's not working, what do we do about it? And I guess it was one of those things where any other kind of job in the world when you realise it's not working, you've got to jump off, then you just jump off. But I guess the life of a federal MP is slightly more um, in the public eye, so to speak. Just slightly. <laughs> but it was also really just about wanting to have a really honest conversation as to what was going on. You know, there's mm. no, there was no scandal, there was no disunity, there was no grumpiness. You know, I was very lucky. You know, I'd been elected straight to the, pretty much straight to the front bench. Yeah. None of those things. You know, the marriage was fine. We were going terrific. It was just not working as a family. Yeah. Um, so that then required, I guess, a very open conversation about why I had to jump off. In And in my view at the time, we might have a new Prime Minister in about three and a half minutes, but in my view at the time, <laughs> there was nothing to indicate to me that we weren't otherwise set for an entire term of government, which was going to take us sort of until May or June next year. And my instinct was that was same that was shared by Lindsay, really, that I just didn't think we were going to be able to hold this show together in a way that didn't become an issue, particularly, you know, for our elders, if I'd held on that long. That was a very long way of explaining what was going on. No, no, that's brilliant. (laughs) What I love and what you kept reinforcing throughout that whole story is that these decisions were made as a family. And you said that phrase, decided as a family, quite a few times through there. The reason why I like that so much is that we hear mainly from women, but I'm sure it ha- roles happen both ways as well. But my husband has a job, he makes the money, his job is important, so we just have to deal with that and we have to make our lives fit around that because that's the most important thing. And that's clearly not the view that you and your family have taken and I think that that's really something. Yeah, I sort of I hadn't really thought about it like that, to be honest. I, I mean, I think we've unconsciously always tried to set up our you know, little family unit in a way in which, particularly with girls, We've just got to really be conscious in a way to apply all of these givens in terms of just equality of opportunity, Mm. breaking down any kind of notion that your kids, regardless of their gender or views or diversities or what have you, you know, are any less placed to make a valuable contribution. And I can't, I don't think you can actually really be honest about having that conversation unless you're demonstrating it in the home, Mm, which, which kind of goes back, I reckon. Yeah, sort of armchair pop psychology stuff, but kind of goes back to this notion that you can't have that conversation with real integrity unless you start from a position where everybody's role in the family is equal, regardless of what you're doing. Yeah, I try not to share this too widely if it is that I pretend that I'm doing a really important professional job, but quite frankly, I would swap my hardest day at work for my easiest day at home any length of the straight. It is, being at home with your kids is just really hard. Yeah. <laughs> This is not all, you know, sunlight and roses. It's really hard work, right? I'm right there with you, especially when there's three little kids involved. You know, it, there's a lot of demands on your time and your energy. You don't get to just sort of think because they're always wanting to be with you, which is wonderful until you yeah. just want a little bit of space. Oh, yeah. So it's been a little while now. I'm not sure how long it took you to actually extricate yourself from federal politics, but since you've stopped the travel and stopped yeah. that part of your life, what have you noticed? How have things changed for you? Again, it's at the risk of being a 
a really long answer. There's a couple of things about <laughs> it that have been pretty interesting. You know, there was the initial, I guess, mildly traumatic public extraction from that life to being back at home. Yes. And it was sort of, I think, easy to, for me to oversimplify the arrangement a bit because it wasn't really just the travel to Canberra. That in itself is entirely manageable. But when we overlaid that with the portfolio responsibilities, which also require a lot of time on the East Coast when you're actually not sitting in Parliament, that adds either a chunk or a good part of another sort of eight to 10 weeks of the year when you're not at home. So all of a sudden that right. kind of blows out to 30 to 35 weeks of the year, which, again, you know, these five really? guys, it's extraordinary. they do an amazing job wow. holding all of this together. But what was a sort of was a bit funny about that is there isn't actually a routine to it. You know, you might need to be in Sydney for a day and a half and then you're back home and then you've got to be in Cairns and then you're back mm-hmm. home. So you actually don't even really have those segmented chunks of time just in terms of the mechanics of mm-hmm. how it works. And then quite frankly, and this is entirely reasonable in my view, you have a community that you represent, you know, 100,000 people that you represent in a federal election who quite rightly want to see their local member out and about and involved in the community. So what sort of became just for us that I didn't quite realise at the time until it stopped in many ways is it wasn't so much the travel that had that negative impact upon how we'd sort of all roll through. It was the absence. So you'd actually get home from something and you'd literally have to put your bags down. You know, you've got all these little kids running down that hallway and they're just so thrilled to see you. And you've sort of got to give them a kiss, turn around and go back out again. Yeah, back on the road. Everyone gets distressed and all that, you know. So I think what was really nice about having then made that transition of having to come back home. And it was a bit funny because Lindsay, who quite rightly sort of just went into, you know, home manager role because I was yes. never around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this big galump is now back in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> sort of took a bit of... And probably you know, saying, why are we doing it like this and why can't we do it like that? <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, if I ever said that in the past, I had absolutely no authority to do so because I was never really there. But now I sort of thought, well, look, you know, I'm, I'm back now. Anyway, that, <laughs> Sorting out. We got there, but so you didn't have marital problems before, but now that you're home, <laughs> I know, yeah. right? exactly, exactly. So, uh, no, all, all good. But it's sort of like one of those things where you shake up that snow globe with the sand, and then it all sort of settles. Yeah, you know, and again, as I said, you know, make no mistake. You know, between five o'clock and seven thirty at night, it is like the ride of the Valkyries at our house. Yes, you know, it's yes, like, it's, it's scorched earth, but yeah. <laughs> It's just really nice, you know. The reality is everyone's sort of settled. The real test is we have little smiles on little faces that we hadn't seen for a very long time. And in a way, as kind of as much of a traumatic adjustment as it was, not for a nanosecond has it felt like the wrong call. Mm, That's wonderful. Just in terms of the way in which these little humans are kind of settling back into having their dinner in. Well, that's what it's all about, isn't it, really? And that's what you say. It's an easy decision because you know that, that your family are the most important piece of the puzzle. And so as long as they're happy, then things kind of fall into place. I think that's right. Everything else will sort of take care of itself in a way. One of the things that used to terrify me, I used to um, try and sort of stay fit and healthy and not eat and drink too much. I used to run a lot when I was in Canberra. One of those things that used to terrify me was this notion of applying the, you know, 75 or 80 years of age test. You know, when you're sitting by the fire with a glass of red wine and you're 80 years old, what do you want your life to have looked like? Yes. And, you know, the thought that I thought there was a really well-founded fear that I had that there was a risk if I'd stayed in this life, it all might have been tremendously successful, but there was a profound consequence of my of just not having a relationship with my children. Mm. Mm. For me, it was just, it was a cost for our unit that was too much Mm. for me to be prepared to accept. And the other thing that I had to be really clear about, because I think it's true, 
just because this was the way it was for us and our little mob doesn't mean that's the way it is for every WA federal MP. You know, this was not about making a judgment call on how anyone else lives their life. Mm. It was just about being really honest as to what we needed to do as our sort of little mob, really. Absolutely. We're all individuals and all individual people with which respond differently to different circumstances. Clementine Ford wrote an article following your resignation. I don't know if you remember it. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald. And she was talking about her admiration to your commitment to fatherhood and the importance that you were placing on prioritising being in your kids' lives. How do you feel about being held up like that as a fabulous example of fathers? To be honest, I hadn't really thought about it because I think it is sadly a sign of our times in a way that there is a, and I think that because of the public perception of politicians is so poor, which is sadly in many ways quite commonly deserved when you look at some of the conduct of what goes on around the place. Yes. My main focus really was just staying really true to having a conversation about why I needed to jump off this show. And so I didn't really think much more than that because it was, this isn't working, it's got to be fixed, this is how, my best guess is this is how we fix it, so I've got to jump off. So it's incredibly flattering, I guess, in a way, but it's um, one of those things where it's you just got to do what you do. Mm. I think that's about it, really. I mean, well, I was pretty keen. Again, there's no, no point going through all of this if we don't learn from it. So we thought we'd put something in a place to begin with, in terms of just trying to invest that time and be around the around the place. So what we do now is, since I have a retired, I've started up practice as a barrister again. Mm. Every Tuesday, I have as an unavailable day for my practice, unless I've got a trial or something. Mm. And Tuesdays is Dad's Day, so I don't work on Tuesdays and drop Sid the kid at school, and then Harry and Tully and me knock around on Tuesdays, which again has its moments. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes a little bit of knocking around. Well, you've got to begin like you mean to continue, right? You yeah. Know, there's no point putting your money where your mouth is and saying, "Look, yeah. I've got to sort of make these adjustments," unless you actually go and do it. Yeah, we have similar, my husband cares for Lily some of the days when I'm at work and one of those days is Friday and Lily calls it Daddy's Day and she's two and a half also. It's amazing to see how their relationship has developed so much in that time when they have this one-on-one time that's just the two of them when I'm not there to interfere and it really really is special and important for them. So I think it's great that you're able to do that as well. Yeah, all good. So there's a lot of guys out there or men out there who want to do something different. You know, I think we don't necessarily see it or hear about it much, but every now and then you kind of will will get some idea that there are men who want to live a similar life to what you're doing, whether it's to work part-time or just to be more involved with their kids. And normally what we have is the, the normal standard, as Lucy mentioned before, that it's dad who works five days a week. So what advice do you have for those people, those men? Yeah, I think it's tough. And in many ways, we were lucky, very lucky, because there's also the nuts and bolts of having to pay a mortgage, right? Yes. That can be hard if your values as a family in terms of what you want your whole show to look like with the nuts and bolts doesn't match up to your capacity to actually pay for it. There's nothing worse. That's a really good point. You know, Mm -hmm. financially when you're trying to be present parents. So I think it was really lucky for us because I my instinct was that I could come back into a job that I really enjoyed that does have a lot of flexibility and does help pay the mortgage. And Lindsay also works, she started a small advertising sort of consultancy PR agency with a co-director of hers who also has a couple of young kids. Right. They kind of managed to work three days a week. I can 
to be frank, sort of find myself doing five days a week, probably, but just not on the Tuesday because I can juggle it with, you know, you can take a brief home. and Yes. Once everyone's in bed. Yeah. And, and still get paid for the work that I do. So, mate, I just reckon it's it just, it's hard because there's no cookie cutter answer to all of this. I think we've just got to all try and work out the most important thing and then work backwards and try to set it up in a way that it it fits together. So don't be bound by those social norms. Think about your ideal life and and then the solution rather than... And then we're backwards, yeah. I I think that's right. Certainly subconsciously we kind of try to to do. Sometimes it's all a howling failure and then you work it out and move through. You touched on this before when you said about you having a job to come back to and when earlier on when you compared your uh, travel to Canberra as being kind of similar to FIFO workers, albeit with differences because you didn't have that standard routine. And the FIFO, I'm really glad you mentioned that because that's a great example, especially in Perth, that we have hundreds of people who work fly in, fly out. And so they're away from their families for relatively long periods of time. And often, not always, some people absolutely love that lifestyle, but often we hear this is just a short term or we don't really enjoy this hard work, but we need to do it because we need the money or what other job is my husband going to do or am I going to do that kind of thing. What do you say to those people? You mentioned you had your job to come back to as your role as a barrister. So you didn't have to pack that all in and then be like, well, now what am I going to do? Yeah, look, I just, I reckon it's really hard. And again, my respect for those who do manage that FIFO life went through the roof, you know, after my relatively short time you know, sort of undertaking a similar role. Mm. You know, I was only doing it for the best part of two years. How these guys and girls manage it over a long period of time is is really hard work. And I just don't know the answer. And I think that part of a bigger conversation, which is why I think what you guys are doing is, is such a great platform, is that I think in many ways we've sort of all got to stop pretending that we know the answers to these sorts of things because <laughs> it's just really hard. And maybe you'll say it's different for everyone. Exactly right. Completely different for everyone, and uh, and I don't really know what the answers are for those those guys because again, you know, sort of getting into a sort of a socio political discussion, the level of business confidence back here in Perth now is not what it was five years ago, and mm. I I don't know how easy it would be for those who do have those opportunities at the moment up north or out on the mines where they're doing the FIFO work to transition back into something here, yeah. particularly if it is that you started that life. And your leverage to have to have to kind of manage that life in terms of your other commitments, your mortgage, what have you. It's all right. You don't have to have the answer. It's just hard. <laughs> it really is. I just don't think I do. I think that all you can do is if you fundamentally think this isn't working in terms of your kids, I just have perhaps naive belief that if you work backwards, it sorts itself out one way or the other. So working as a barrister is not necessarily an easy kind of nine to five, leave it at work kind of job either. No. So you've stopped travel and being perhaps as absent, but you've still got a lot to juggle with that kind of a job. So how were you dealing with that? Look, I love it. I, I just, someone like me who has a notoriously short attention span, as long as I'm doing something <laughs> that is is uh, diverse, the rest of it kind of takes care of itself. So it just requires a bit of organisation, I think, really. Organisation, try and stay fit, you know, so I try and go running a bit where everyone else is sort of still asleep. So a crazy morning o'clock, I'm sort of on Mondays, Wednesdays and Saturdays, I try and be up sort of at about five, up past four or five to get a good long run. And so sort of staying fit, I reckon, is actually one of those things that makes the rest of it look after itself a bit. Got to be organised, 
And what do you do with the kids? You've mentioned that Sid's at school, but... Yeah, they're asleep. <laughs> this, all falls in, this all falls in at that 7 o'clock curfew. After 7, when you're at work. <laughs> no, you and Lindsay are both working, so yeah. how are you managing the juggle with the little kids? Well, that's just all it is. It's just a juggle. You've just got to keep talking to each other, really. If yeah. you don't communicate, the whole thing, again, just falls into an, an enormous screaming heap. So yeah. It's, yeah. for us, it's being organised and communicate with each other in terms of how this is all going to work in the morning. Mm. And again, Lindsay works from home. She just, mm-hmm. depending upon the sort of gig she's got at the moment, she's doing a job which requires her to be in an office two of their three days a week. Yes. But as long as we can kind of create that environment where your clients, I'd be my sort of instructing solicitors and clients or Lindsay's clients sort of know from the outset, well, this is how it all has to sort of fit in to the scheme of things. And it generally goes okay. So expectation management is pretty important. Yes. And just, you know, trying to keep the balls in the air, really. So is it just, are you managing it between you and Lindsay or are you like most of us and you've got some sort of other shared care arrangements or, you know, fantastic family or daycares or? All of those things, pretty much. We've got a pretty hands-on set of grandmothers. So my mum uh, will come through on a Wednesday at the moment. Lindsay's mum will come through normally to help out a bit on a Thursday. That's so great for the kids. Oh, it is terrific. You know, the, it's very it's something that I didn't really have when I was growing up, and I'm so pleased that they do. Is that they've got access to this terrific extended family unit, really. Yes. And certainly on Lindsay's side, Lindsay's Eurasian, and you know, it's from and her family are from Singapore, and at the risk of being offensive, it's one of those <laughs> textbook kind of Eurasian families, right? Where there's just a zillion <laughs> of them rolling around at any particular time. There's food everywhere, and everyone's just really nice to each other, like in a real. <laughs> So Christmas time at our place, there's literally like just the closest family and there are 55 people there. It's We've got about, on our side, the Hammond Whitey side, we've got about three and then there's the Fletcher Eurasian who just have a zillion. So they all bring food. It's great fun. And, and it's just, as you say, it's so important, I think, for kids to have access to an extended family like that. It just gives them different outlets, you know. So is what you're doing and how hands-on you are with your kids, is it similar to the way that you were brought up or is this totally different? Yeah, it's pretty different. You know, my dad, he passed away many years ago now. He was only young when he died. He was 54 and he died in 2005. So it was a fair while ago now. But he was a much more um, conventional dad, really. So, you know, one of those sort of great fella, had a terrific sense of humour, but but not overly in sleeves rolled up into changing nappies or that sort of stuff. And um, so I guess it was it has been a bit different, but I think it's really just comes from a place where you've all just got to muck in. It sort of gets back to what I was saying before. I think the minute we start pretending in a way that someone's role is more valuable, so to speak, in the family than someone else's, we're kind of not bringing this whole show in the right direction, it seems to me. Mm. On a slightly related topic or similar, what's your view on boundaries between your work and your family? I mean, you've mentioned you have Tuesdays off. So, for example, is that a day where you won't take calls from your clients or how do you blur the boundaries? How does that look for you? Yeah, Lucy, that's a good question. I'm quite bad at it. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like me then. Don't worry. <laughs> I try to be good at it and then I then I stop being good at it. Um, to be frank, it's sort of sometimes it's what I think, kind of think I can get away with in a way, you know, because I think about it, the more I tend to 
rail against this notion that we can just silo our lives in this notion of a work-life balance, right? I actually don't think there's any such thing as a work-life balance in this day. You're in total agreement with us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think in many ways the real trick to try to keep the balls in the air on the juggle is to work out, if you can, what work you like to do that you find fulfilling that will help fold into this notion of having to do it sort of on the fly when you've, you know, you've got someone under your arm and you've got to sort out a dirty nappy and you've got also money coming in so you've got the bank's not going to take the house, you know. Mm. Because, again, I'll look on my Tuesdays, as much as I try and be good, you know, I'll quite often respond <laughs> to emails on my phone or not so much take calls but certainly if there's stuff that I can see on the phone that, that needs to be responded to and can be done quickly than I'll generally tend to do it for the record i don't think there is such thing as being good or bad with boundaries i think you've hit the nail on the head when it's these are all the parts of our lives and then how do we make them flow and fit together it doesn't mean that on a tuesday i'm not allowed to even let my brain think about work because i'm focusing only on my children it's that these are all the things i have to do today and how do i fit them all in today so there's no good or bad i think you're right Lucy loves talking about um, integration, you know. It's, it's becoming much more common these days to talk about work-life integration. The only thing that starts worrying me recently is with my daughter approaching nine, much more conscious of her visually and because my sister's always pointing it out to me, how much my kids are visually seeing me on a computer and on a phone. And Yeah, no, you're right. So that's a kind of a separate issue. Maybe I just need to go hide in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, but you're spot on because, you know, the kids are just sponges, right? You know, yeah. they just soak up everything you do. And that is a thing that we try really hard to monitor is the amount of time when we're around them, you know, that we're looking at one of those. Yes, those phones are dangerous. They really are, you know. Phones and iPads are blessing but a curse. Yes, absolutely. So Father's Day is just around the corner. Do you have plans or do you know how you plan to spend it this year? Is that maybe that's a surprise? No, it's a bit of a surprise. And again, it's sort of, I think it's still a solid two weekends away. So it kind of just seems some weird haze on the horizon. At the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I think in many ways, again, as opposed to the last couple of Father's Days, and I haven't really thought about this much yet, because I've been away so much, I think one really does tend to concentrate and drill down on that day as being the day whereas I think now in a way because I sort of feel as if life really has balanced out a bit in terms of that it'll be fun to be being spoiled don't get me wrong <laughs> yes um, don't stop that if you're listening keep the gifts coming as long as it's not before seven that's exactly right and I, I love those you know really <laughs> lukewarm cups of tea with sugar. <laughs> awesome people coming soggy weeping so that's exactly right, mate, just for you, Dad. There you go. I guess you get Father's Day every day, right? Is that where you're going with this every day? I didn't want to sound like a Hallmark card. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do it for you. It was sort of where it was heading. I left yeah. I mean, let's be frank. So it kind of does feel like that in a way, you know. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah. All right, we just have a couple of extra questions to finish up. Far away. I get to ask this one because it's my favourite. Do you have a mantra, Tim? Are there words that you live by through your life? Well, kind of, kind of. I think one of them that I'd like to think that I made up myself, but I don't think I did. <laughs> Is this another Hallmark card? You read this one somewhere? Bit, I think this might have made it a little bit. <laughs> but there's no fruit on the trunk, right? If you really want all the good fruit, you've got to go out and a limb like that. Um, oh. So, so and I just kind of actually reckon that's true. The thing that I would never have traded away those two years of having the enormous thrill of being in our federal parliament for anything, it was something I always had to go and do. 
Yeah. You know, and I kind of just think, like, in, in many ways, spending sort of quite a few years running cases for people who are dying too soon. Mesothelioma, you get crook after being exposed to asbestos 40 years ago and suddenly you've got nine months to live, right? I think what that tells you, and, and acting for those people in the courtroom, I think it gives you a very, very strong sense as just to how precious life is and how precious our time is here. And which is sort of just comes back to the point where you just can't, there's no point playing safe on this stuff. You've got to go out on a limb for stuff that you think is really worth doing. So I think that's probably a mantra if I have one. There's no fruit on the trunk. I love that. It's it's that concept of getting out of your comfort zone in order to really challenge and live a full life. It's great. So what advice, and perhaps this is the advice that you would use, but maybe there's something else. Um, what is the piece of advice that you would give to other professional men and women who are doing this juggle of career and family? I think there's probably two bits of advice. Uh, the first would be everyone's different. And so everyone has a different kind of shape as to what it has to look like. My advice would be, to, at least what works for us, is the working backward approach. To the best you can, at a moment of reflection, work out the things that really are fundamentally important. You know, the things that are the deal breakers. You know, I was yeah. talking about before the 75-year-old test. What do you want your life to look like then? And then work backwards. And it kind of, I think it kind of takes care of itself if you apply that approach. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you. No, it's been terrific. The time has just flown by and uh, it's been lots of fun. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening with us today. I hope you enjoy your Father's Day when it comes up on Sunday. If you would like to get in touch with Tim and learn more about him or perhaps you need to brief him, (laughs) then you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. We're going to put his LinkedIn details in the show notes, but Otherwise, you can just go to search and type in Tim Hammond and I'm sure you'll find him there. That's all from us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and let us know what you think. Leaving us a review and hitting subscribe really helps other people find out about our show. And perhaps you want to come and join our Facebook group as well, that we have some fantastic conversations there. Not only are people helpful, like Lucy found with <laughs> suggestions of what to get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, we can also continue sharing our learnings and you know maybe you want to share what your husband's doing or another a man in your life who's doing something a little bit different with the career and family juggle so see you next time happy juggling